This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime at our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Radical change. Um, Y'all like change? (laughs) Do you anticipate that 2021 is going to be better than 2020? Absolutely. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's what we are expecting. Um, There's uh, an old song, and it goes like this. From glory to glory, he's changing me, changing me, changing me. His likeness and image to perfect in me. The love of God shown to the world. For he's changing, changing me from the earthly things to the heavenly. His likeness and image to perfect in me. The love of God shown to the world. God is on the move, changing us if we allow him to do so. That is absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, Charles Colson, he once said, while human politics is based on the premise that society must be changed in order to change people, in the politics of God's kingdom, it's people who must be changed in order to change society. Because it's the change that God brings about in us that impacts and influences the rest of the world. That's just the way it goes. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 says, God also bound himself with an oath. That, that's with his word. Do you ever give your word on something? Hey, God, I give you my word, I'm going to do this. You know, that's an oath. It says, God also, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise, and here is a fantastic book of promises that God has given us. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. And you know what? When you read God's word, He's not going to come back in a day or a week or something. Well, I changed my mind. I'm really not going to forgive you after all. I'm not going to let you in heaven. I'm not going to answer your prayers. That'll never happen. Whatever God has promised, he has given his word. He has given his oath so you and I can have uh, confidence and we can be perfectly sure, as the scripture says, we can be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Verse 18 says, So God has given us both his promise and his oath, his word. I mean, his his rock-solid word, what I'm talking about, that he will never break. He says, so God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are, what's that word? God is unchangeable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says, these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. 
Now, do men lie? Do politicians lie? And they're men, or they're mankind. But mankind, men and women, they lie, but God never lies. What he has ever promised, and whatever he has given his oath or his word about, that's just the way it is. I'm reading once again, verse 18. So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can take new courage, for we can hold on to the promise with confidence. This confidence is like a strong and trustworthy anchor for our boats. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry there. It's a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It's a spiritual lifeline. And usually in a boat, you throw the anchor over and it goes down to the bottom and grabs a hold of something down there that you can't see, a rock or just some mud or a tree branch or something that fell in. But you know what? The anchor cord that he's talking about, it goes upward. The, The anchor of our soul is anchored in the very presence of Almighty God, you know. And so our anchor goes upward and anchors us so we don't drift off course. This confidence is like a strong, trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain of heaven into God's inner sanctuary, into his very presence. And remember this, God never changes. He never changes. And you may change a lot. You may change everything about you. You may grow your beard out longer, you know. You may change your makeup. You you may change your career, your job. Everything is subject to change, but God don't change. That's just the way it is. He does not change. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, what this means is that those who become Christians, those who become Christians, and the way we become a Christian is by acknowledging with our mouth what we believe in our heart that God did raise Jesus from the dead after he paid for our sins and he is resurrected and alive and powerful. And he says, we call upon him, he'll forgive us, he'll come into our life. And it says, what this means is that those who become Christians, because you are not born a Christian, even if you were born in a Christian family, you are born again as a Christian. And that birth is, is, you know, by Almighty God. He says, what this means is those who become Christians become new persons. There's been a change. When you become a Christian, you become a different person, a new person. There's a change been taking place. They are not the same anymore. They've they've changed. They're not the same anymore. For the old life is what? It's gone. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Now, whom you would change, you must first love. 
Because if you don't love somebody, you're not really going to change them. But isn't that God? He so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God has brought about great change in us because he loves us. He genuinely loves us and has done whatever it has taken to bring about a change in our lives. Billy Graham said the world does not need, he said the world does need changing. Society needs changing. The nations need changing. But he will never, but we never will change it until we change ourselves. You want to change the world? You want to change the nations that we live in? Change our society? We got to first let God bring about a change in us. And I'm talking about this because we're getting ready to close the door on 2020. And we're stepping into 2021, right around the corner. And we want it to be different. And we want to be different. I do, anyhow. I want to change. I want it to, to, to be all that God wants me to be, you know. I want to change. I really do. Um, article I came across. When I was a child, my father brought home a 12-year-old boy named Roger, whose parents had died from a drug overdose. There was no one to care for Roger, so my folks decided they would raise him as their own. At first, it was difficult for Roger to adjust to his new home. Several times a day, I heard my parents saying to Roger, no, no. That's not how we behave in this family. No, no, you don't have to scream or fight or hurt other people to get your way. No, no, Roger, we expect you to show respect in this family. In time, Roger began to change. Did he have to make those changes to become part of the family? No. He was part of the family by the grace of my father. But did he have to work hard because he was in the family? Yeah, he had to work hard to bring about this change because he was a part of this family. You bet. It was tough for Roger to change, and he had to work at it. But he was motivated by gratitude for the amazing love that he had received. Do you have a lot of hard work to do now that the Holy Spirit has adopted you into God's family? Certainly. But not to become a son or a daughter of the Heavenly Father. No. You make those changes because you are a son or a daughter. And every time you start to revert back to the old addictions of sin, the Holy Spirit will say to you, no, no. That's not how we act in this family. Have you ever felt the conviction of God saying, no, no, that's not the way we act. No, no, that's not what you should do. No, no, that's not the kind of behavior we have in this family. Holy Spirit convicts us. And it's an ongoing process, but he is always bringing about a change. 
And the change that he brings about in us is a good change. It's a change from glory to glory. There's another old song I grew up with, and it goes like this. Since Jesus came into my heart. Wow. Since Jesus came into my heart. Man, I have light in my soul for which long I have sought since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll since Jesus came into my heart. I have ceased from my wanderings and going astray since Jesus came into my heart. And my sins, which were many, are all washed away since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul, like the sea billows roll, since Jesus came into my heart. The last verse says, I shall go there to dwell in that city I know, since Jesus came into my heart. And I'm happy, so happy as onward I go, since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, Floods of joy o'er my soul, like the sea billows roll, since Jesus came into my heart. You know, that makes all the difference in the whole wide world when you open up and he'll never force his way into your heart. It's only by invitation. He'll not, but until you open the door and say, please come in, he won't force his way into our life. If you give a, a man a dollar, you can cheer his heart. And you give him a dream, you can challenge a man's heart. But if you give him Jesus, you'll change a man's heart. And since Jesus came into our hearts, he's changed us. But it's an ongoing process. He's never done with it. It's an ongoing process. I was reading this survey about 50 people who were 95 years old. And this is what they said. If I had to do it over again, I'd reflect more. I'd reflect more about things. And I'd risk more. I would risk more. These are people who are 95 years old. I'd risk more. And I'd do more things that would live on after me. Do you want to do things that lives on after you? Or we just want to do something and it's gone as soon as we do it, you know? Or you want to make a, a difference in this world. You want to make an eternal difference, not only in this world, but in the world to come. Well, I have a little object lesson for you this morning, but you've got to put it into operation, Okay. I'm not going to pull this particular one out of my brown bag. I'm going to ask you to bring about this object lesson. So it's an exercise that we can do in change. But you're the one who's going to do it. And maybe one or two or three or all of these ten things I'm going to share with you, maybe you can apply it and it will help us exercise change in our life. The first one, number one, says... Take a look at your office, if you have one. Take a look at your office. 
What's been changed there in the last five years? A dynamic environment gets ideas flowing. Have you changed anything in your office or any other room in your house? You know, have you changed anything there? Number two, change your reading patterns. Go outside your normal field of reading. Do you always read the same thing, you know? You know, field and stream, you know? Have you, have you gone outside your normal reading pattern? It can really greatly inspire a change in our life. Number three, talk about ideas with people who want to share new concepts. So, yeah, now, a new concept. They're telling, did you know that you can do? And this is like, and sometimes when someone wants to tell us something new and improved, sometimes we want to shut that. No, no, I already got all this figured out. This is the way I'm going to do it for the rest of my life, you know? Well, number three says, uh, talk about ideas with people who want to share new concepts. Number four, put your thoughts on paper. Have you ever thought of that? It's like your thoughts about change and what you're going to do. Put them on paper. Susan and I have been doing that for this year. Personally, for us, as individuals, as a couple, for us, as pastors, part of a church, we've been putting our thoughts and all down on a piece of paper. The process of putting it down. Every time I've ever gone to a church service or a conference and I've been to many in my life, I always take notes. And when I take notes, I can almost, in Bible school, I can almost write down every word that they said. But just the process, if I threw my notebook away afterwards, the process of writing it down helped it stick with me. Number five, get excited about something. Do you ever get excited about anything? There's three of you, okay. Yeah. I get excited about stuff. Really? Is there anything that you get excited about? Well, get excited about something. Number six says, find one new place a month to have lunch. Can you get excited about that? You know what? I offer my wife all the time. How is it? Would you like to go out for a meal? You make the peanut butter jelly sandwiches, we're going to go out in the backyard and have them. I offer her to go out to eat all the time, you know. Then you go out in the front yard. Then you go out in the side yard. You can go up on a mountain. I think I have probably done that, haven't I? But I have taken you out a time or two in our life, haven't I? More than a time or two, to be honest with you. But anyhow, this exercise puts us in the frame of mind to accept change. Oh, isn't it a terrible thing? When you do go out to eat, you go, well, where do you want to go? This is the way I start a fight. You know, it's like, I don't care where you want to go. Well, where do you want to go? Well, where do you want to go? I want to go to the backyard, you know. So where do you want to go? So I challenge you, find one place, at least one place a month to have lunch. Number seven, what do you want to accomplish next? What you want to accomplish next? And you say, well, what are you talking about? 
whatever you wanted to talk about. What do you want to accomplish next? Attach dreams to goals and you will have more creative, you will be more creative and more innovative when you attach, attach your, your dreams to goals. Um, number eight, think about how many times you say no. Saying yes more than no will encourage creative ideas in others. It's not just always no, 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 no. Number nine says make three positive changes in your business operation. Upset the equilibrium a little bit. Three positive changes. Is that possible? Thank you for saying yes and saying no. Because it's, oh, no, I got it just the way I want. I want nobody to mess with it. No, no. Number 10, voice new ideas and ask for a critique of them. We don't ask anybody to critique our ideas, do we? Anyhow, go through this process, this exercise and change. And as we launch out into 2021, we leave 2020 behind us, let's anticipate wonderful, delightful, godly change that God wants to bring about in us and in all the things that we touch in our area of influence. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8 says, but now, but now is the time. When? Now is the time to get rid of anger. Are you ever angry? But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. It's time to change now. Let's leave all the anger, all the malicious behavior, the slander, the dirty language. Let's leave all that back in 2020. It says it's now it's time to change. And that will change us tremendously. Years ago, Mike Ditka was one of those athletes. He, he was a, a coach who seemed to be bigger than life. He was coach of the New Orleans Saints, and he shocked his coaching staff when he announced one day that he was not going to use profanity ever again. According to those who knew him through the years, Ditka had the habit of using certain mm, colorful words in every conversation, using them as nouns, as Verbs as adjectives. I have said such things so much in my life, he said, it is just ridiculous. Months after Mike's vow to never use profanity again, he had kept that promise and he told his players, I have done a lot of stupid things in my life that I probably won't do again. And using profanity was one of them. There is no room for it on the field. It might slip out every now and then, but I don't want to hear it. Now, when you feel like saying it, I want you to say, praise the Lord. Here's a coach who experienced a change. And I believe it inspired great change in other people because he was very outward and bold about it. 
In Acts chapter 17, verse 6, Paul and Silas, it says, have turned the rest of the world upside down. And now they are here disturbing our city. Now, I think the truth of it is, be more biblically accurate is to say that Paul and Silas has turned the rest of the world right side up because of sinfulness, it got turned upside down. But we understand what he's meaning here. He says, and now they, they're here disturbing our city. Do you like to be disturbed? How many of you have ever put the little sign on a motel? You know, it's because you're going to sleep late today and you put a little sign on the motel door that says, do not disturb. You know what I'm talking about. Well, do we ever do that with God? Uh, God, do not disturb. Think about that for a moment. Disturb us. Lord, when you are too, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrive safely home because we sailed too close to the shore, disturb us, Lord, when we have the abundance of things we possess. We have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your majesty. Where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push us into the future in strength and courage and hope and in love. Disturb us, Lord. The Lord would disturb us not to hurt us, but he would disturb us to awaken us from the stupor of life where we just kind of go unconscious. Disturb us, Lord. Awaken us, Lord. That's what a revival is, reviving us. Disturb us, Lord. Christians are supposed not merely to endure change, but Christians are supposed to cause change because we live like Christ, because we love other people, because we're willing to invest our time, our energy, our resources to impact other people for good. You know, people... Um, well, Benjamin Franklin once said, he said, he who introduces into public affairs the principles of basic Christianity will change the face of the world. He said, people who introduce into public affairs the principles of basic Christianity will change the face of the world because God's word changes things. His word is alive and powerful. He tells us that, and it changes things genuinely. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul, y'all remember Saul in the Bible? The apostle Paul, his name was changed to Paul later on, but he was known as Saul. And he was a tremendous 
scholar, you know, of Old Testament things. And he said, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. And he hated Christians. He hated Christianity and thought that it was a horrible thing that was putting his religion down. He says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. He was eager to destroy the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he would find there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as you understand, if he was bringing, you know, these Christians, men and women, to the gladiators arena where they would have lions and tigers and wild animals and they'd throw the Christians in there and allow the animals to tear them limb from limb or eat them in front of them. Now, you say, I can't believe that people would do such things like that. Nowadays, we watch movies much more gory than that for entertainment. Those people came and they paid to come to the gladiator arenas and watch people kill Christians or wild animals kill Christians. And Saul was having men and women thrown into these arenas because he was one who despised Christianity. And it says in verse 3, because he was going to bring all those Christians he could find back to Jerusalem in chains. It says, and as he was nearing Damascus on this mission, a brilliant light from heaven suddenly beamed down upon him. A brilliant light from heaven beamed down upon him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You? He says, who are you, sir? Who are you, sir? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus. When you touch one of these believers, you're messing with me. Is that not true about your own household? You mess with my kids, you're messing with me. You understand that? Absolutely. And Jesus said, you know, in his question, he said, hey, who are you, sir? He says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you are to do. Do we ever make time for God? to tell us what to do? Are we always busy and always noisy? Or can we hear what he's saying to us? Let's pop down and look at verse 19. It says in verse 19, afterward, after all the things that God had spoke to him and he began to operate in it, it says afterwards, he ate some food and was strengthened and Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Now he went there to have Christians butchered and killed and put an end to them. And it says here, now he stayed with these believers in Damascus for a few days. Verse 20 says, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. Now you're talking about, and they changed his name from Saul, God did, to Paul. We're talking about a radical change had taken place in the apostle Paul, who was putting Christians to death. Now he was one, a believer, a follower of Christ. 
radical change has taken place. And it says in verse 21, all who heard him were amazed. Isn't, isn't this the same man who persecuted Jesus' followers with such devastation in Jerusalem, they asked? And we understand that he came here to arrest them and to take them in chains to back to the leading priest. Verse 22, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Radical change had taken place and this man whose name was Saul, very religious, Saul became a follower of Christ. A relationship with him. Radical change took place in him and that radical change was obvious to everybody who had ever known him, and they saw it. Acts chapter six, uh, 26, verse 19 says, as he had to go stand before the king on one occasion for preaching the gospel, he says, And oh, and so, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus then in Jerusalem and throughout all of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that all, what percentage is all? That all must turn from their sins and turn to God and prove that they have changed by the good things they do. And see, if there's a change, it's not just called, well, I'm, I'm changed. No, if there's a real change, it's proven by how we act, by our behavior. We don't do things the way we used to do them. Disturb us, O Lord, you know, to bring about change. Verse 21 says, some Jews, some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this, and they tried to kill me, but God protected me so that I am still alive today to tell these facts to everyone. Now, what percentage is everyone? God changed him. Instead of putting Christians to death, he became one. And he began to preach and tell the facts to everyone, from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and we knew, know he did, and be the first to rise from the dead. And he did as a light to the Jews and Gentiles. And understand, in those days, if you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile. There's only two kinds of people on the planet. You're either a Jew or you're whatever it is defined by a Gentile. That's just the way it was. And, and Paul, now whose name was Saul, he had such a radical change, he could not help but to preach the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles to anything that moved, he preached. Colossians chapter 1, verse 6 says, This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world, 100%. This good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is changing lives. Where? Everywhere. It's changing lives. It's good news. Uh, the, the gospel, the promises, changes lives everywhere. 
just as it changed yours that very first day you heard and understood the truth about God's great kindness to sinners. Now, Charles Spurgeon once said, he said, if your theology doesn't change your behavior, it will never change your destiny. And there are only two destinations that we can go to after we've been born on this whole earth. We're going to go to heaven or hell. And if your theology, what you believe, does not change your behavior, it will not change your eternal destiny. Romans chapter 2, verse 29 says, A true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not a cutting away of the body, but it's a change of heart. Circumcision, that the Bible refers to, circumcision of heart, to where the old sinful nature is cut away. And there has been a change, a transformation has taken place. A true Jew is one whose heart is right with God, and true circumcision is not a cutting of the body, but a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. Whoever has that kind of a change seeks praise from God and not from people. Galatians chapter 6 verse 15 says, It doesn't make any difference now whether you've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we really have been changed. That we've had a circumcision of heart. The old sinful nature has been cut away and we become new creatures in Christ Jesus. And he says, what counts is whether we really have been changed into new and different people. So you answer that question just to yourself where you're sitting right now. Have you become changed? Have you become a new and a different person than what you once was? Joshua chapter 17 verse 9 says, the righteous will move, what does it say? Onward and forward. The righteous, those who are in right relationship with God, will move onward and forward. And those with pure hearts will become stronger and stronger. You know, there was a statement made in Narnia. Onward and upward. You know, if you've ever read the books of Narnia, or seen some of the movies from Narnia, but it reminds me of an old song I used to sing when I was a kid. I don't really hardly ever hear it saying anymore, but it goes like this. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ the royal master leads against the foe. Forward, hear that? Forward into battle, see his banners go onward. Now we just read that in Job. The righteous will move onward and forward. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to who war. And this is not a physical war. This is a spiritual warfare with the cross of Jesus going on before. At the sign of triumph, Satan's host to flee. On then, Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations 
quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voices, loud your anthems raise. Like a mighty battle, armies move. Like a mighty army moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. We are not divided. We're united. We're not divided. All one body we, one in hope and doctrine, one in charity. Crowns and thrones may perish, kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus constant will remain. Gates of hell can never against the church prevail. We have Christ's own promise, and that cannot fail. The last verse here, Onward then, you people, join our happy throng. Blend with ours your voices in that triumph song. Glory, Lord, and honor unto Christ the King. This through countless ages men and angels sing. And then there was a course between each one of those about onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. But this is a spiritual warfare with the cross of Jesus going on before. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, in the Amplified Bible, it says, And all of us, as with an unveiled face, because we continue to behold, the word behold means like, I'm beholding that tree right now. It means to look upon. You know, I'm, I'm beholding our congregation right now. It means to look upon. He says here, And all of us with an unveiled face continue to behold, to look upon in the word of God, to, to look upon in the word of God as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. As we look upon God as in a mirror... Because when you read in, in the Bible, you, you read God's word, it's like a mirror. And if I was looking down at a mirror, it would be reflecting what's above me, correct? And see, as we look into God's word, we see the reflection of Almighty God there. And he says here, um, and all of us with an unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we're constantly being what? Transfigured. That, that word is a word of metamorphosis. It's what happens to a caterpillar when he turns into a butterfly. When we behold God in his word, it brings about a change, a metamorphosis. It brings about a transformation. It brings about a change. It says that this transformation into his very own image. And ever, it gets better and better, ever increasing splendor. And from one degree of glory to another. As we look upon God, you want to change? You look upon God and his word, it will change you for the better. From glory to glory. To where we'll begin to become more and more like him is what it tells us right there. You remember we talked a little bit about it last week, about the first... Uh, printing press that was ever uh, made was by a fellow by the name of Gutenberg. And the very first book ever printed on the printing press was the Bible. And it ended in history what was referred to as the Dark Ages. It brought about a phenomenal change on the whole planet when the Bible was printed and man could read the Bible for his own self. 
it brought about a change. And you and I, when we'll give ourselves over to reading it, and the best time to start is at the first of the year, you begin to read it, it's like looking in a mirror and seeing God's reflection in it. And as we look in God's word, we will see his reflection and it will change us from glory to glory. You know, things are going to get better than you've ever imagined they could. The best is yet to come. It's ahead of us. It's, it's in front of us. That's just the truth of it. Let me see here. And uh, well, I don't know if you know that much of, about snakes, but snakes have to shed their skin. You ever found a, a shed from a snake? If it wants to grow, it's got to shed its skin. If it wants to see, not only does he shed his skin, but he sheds his scales that's over his eyes. And a crab will shed its uh, shell. A lobster will shed its shell if it wants to grow. And it changes. The snake gets bigger. The crab gets bigger. The lobster gets bigger. If it wants to grow, it's got to shed the skin and, and the, uh, the shell if it wants to experience change and grow. Now, I wonder, is there anything in your lives here right now that you need to shed in order for you to grow and become all that God wants? Is, well, yeah, I can. And, and you would know what it is. If there is something you need to shed, like the snake sheds its skin or the crab and the, the uh, lobster have to shed their, their shell, you would know that, yeah, there's something I need to shed so I can experience the transformation that God has in store for me. He says here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Well, what are you going to do if you're not going to become like the rest of the world? He says, let God transform you. And that word transform is that metamorpho again. He says, but let God transform you. And it just basically means let God change you. Let God change you. God is the one who causes a snake to shed his skin. God is the one who causes the crab and the lobster to shed their shell so they can grow. And God will help you and me. And he says here, don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world, but let God transform or change you into a new person by changing the way you think. We're talking about a radical change when you begin to think differently and you're learning God thoughts and they change you and they transform you and you're letting God change you by changing the way you think. You can think like the world and I call that that stinking thinking. You can let God change you to where you're having godly kinds of thoughts. But he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God, and he won't do it against your wealth. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do. You, you want to know what God wants you to do? Then you will know what God wants you to do. And you will know how good and pleasant and perfect his will really is. See, if we're not changing, we're not beholding him. We're not looking upon him. If we're not changing, we're not looking at his reflection in his word. And as we start a new year, what a wonderful time to begin to read through that Bible in a year. 
it will bring about wonderful change in our life. You know, looking to Jesus will always bring about a change for us. It really will. And uh, let me ask you, is there any areas of your life where you, you already know that need some change? What? Just, just you, Susan? And me? Okay, four, three, four, four. Oh, five, okay. Five of us need some change in certain areas of our life. And the rest of all of us need a change to become honest, <laughs> you know, because we do need change. But sometimes we go, oh, no, anything but that. No, oh, no, not change. Oh, no. But God's kind of changes from glory to glory to make us more and more like his son, Jesus. He says in here in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, it says, Dear friends, I close my letter with these last words. Rejoice. Change your ways. Change your ways. And he gives us the method that will bring about the change in us. It says, I close my letter with these words. Rejoice. Change your ways. And then what? Encourage each other. Encourage each other. Live in harmony. Live in peace. And then the God of love and peace will be with you. Wow. Now, I know I kind of already got away from that, but I want to ask you again. You don't have to tell me, but are there areas in your life that need some change? There's a few more of you. You got courage there. I can almost hear some people at home saying, there's areas in my life that I need some change. And God's not going to change it and make you miserable. He's going to change you from glory to glory, and it's going to be better and better. And then he'll use your life to, to inspire change in other people's lives. That's just the way it is. Um, I was reading about some military uh, operations and things not long ago, and uh, especially in the Air Force. They're uh, pilots when they're flying, and, uh, you, you know, if something goes wrong with the plane, they have the ability to push a button and it ejects their seat and everything out of the airplane and it comes down with parachutes. You know what I'm talking about. But you know what? A lot of people are so comfortable with the familiar. And there's great familiarity in the cockpit. And a lot of them choose the familiarity of the cockpit that's going down and it's going to crash shortly than the new and the change of being ejected out of the cockpit and being carried down to earth safely with parachutes. They're not familiar with that. And sometimes we choose familiarity and unwilling to change. But I'm going to tell you, if something goes on with your plane and it's getting ready to crash, the wisest thing would do is to push that button and let those, sometimes it's one big one, sometimes it's like three smaller ones, parachutes, let you down to earth nice and softly. You think that would be probably a better idea? You know what? If things ain't going the way they ought to be going in that airplane, well, I think we should be looking for some change. I really, really do. Well, here's one more verse, and this is the last one I'm going to read you here this morning. And uh, 
This is God's instructions about all kinds of change that takes place in our life. And that we should be willing to accept God bringing about the change. And if our life is about to crash, we should push eject and get out of the old lifestyle and the old customs and behavior. And we should eject and choose to do things God's way. And he'll let us down gently. But it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, it says there is a time for everything. There's a time to be flying in that airplane, and there's a time to push the eject button. There's a time for everything, a season. That means there's going to be some change involved. We have, what, four different seasons? We see that seasons change, don't we? He said there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die and a time to plant. Now, Susan and I, uh, we had the privilege this past summer to plant a garden only after we had eaten all the good stuff out of our yard. Had people offering us, would you like me to come over and mow your grass for you? It's getting kind of tall. It's like, no. That's, that's our food. We know a lot of wild edibles that are wonderful and if everybody knew about them, they probably wouldn't mow their grass for a month or two either. There's a lot of good... Am I telling the truth? And after we had polished all that off, we grew a fantastic garden. And you put the seeds in the ground, God sends the sunshine, He sends the water, and guess what? It grows. And He says right here, there's a time to be born and a time to die and a time to plant and a time to harvest. There's change. There's change. We go through changes in our life. There's a time to kill and a time to heal and a time to tear down and a time to rebuild. and a, There's a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance and a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, you know. And maybe there's a time to gather stones to build something out of it or maybe there's a time to gather stones to throw it at the bear that's coming after you or something. Who knows? But there's changes that we go through in our life. He said there's a time to embrace and a time to turn away. There's a time to search and a time to lose. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. There's a time to be quiet and there's a time to speak up. We see Paul, he began to speak up for Christ because there's this radical change that took place in his life. There's a time for war, and there's a time for peace, you know. Verse 9 says, What do people really get for all their hard work? I have thought about this in connection with the various kinds of work God has given people to do. God has made everything beautiful. Everything. His riding in an airplane can be beautiful and ejecting out of an airplane can be even more beautiful if that airplane is crashing. Does that make sense? He says God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. We think about eternal things. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. And how often because we don't see the whole picture, we don't know what God's up to, 
we resist change. Hmm. But God wants us to be able to see beyond what we experienced in 2020. He wants us to see beyond. He wants us to understand that the best is yet to come because, see, that takes faith to be able to see into the future and to behold him and to behold change that he wants to bring about in our life. And he says the change that he wants to bring about in our life is better and better. It's from glory to glory. It's, it's never going to hurt you. It's not going to be harmful to you. It's going to allow you to grow. That crab, that lobster, that snake must be willing to change if it wants to grow. If it, if it can just cling on to its old shell or its old skin, it could no longer grow. Anyhow, I'd like you to bow your heads with me right now. And Susan, would you come on up while we bow our heads to pray? First thing I'd like to pray about is just that we would reaffirm our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would be so open and willing to change as we leave 2020 behind and launch out into 2021, that we'll just accept all the change that God has in store for us. And I challenge you, the best is yet to come. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I would challenge you to declare your faith in Him today. Or maybe you've drifted off course and you're really not going His way anymore. Today is the day to get things right. Or maybe you've never believed in Him at all. Today is the day to declare your faith for the first time in the Lord Jesus Christ. So would you pray with me to reaffirm your faith or declare it for the first time or just to renew it? Would you pray? Dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father. I believe that you love me. I believe that you love me. I believe you've got great plans for my life. I believe you've got great plans for my life. That's why you sent your son Jesus. That's why you sent your son Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for me. I believe he died on the cross for and me. And I believe he rose from the dead. And I believe he rose from the dead. I believe he's knocking at the door of my heart. I believe he's knocking at the door of my heart. And I open wide that door. And I open wide that door. And I welcome Jesus. And I welcome Jesus. Inside. Inside. As my Savior. As my Savior. As my Lord. As my Lord. And as my King. And as my King. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
you may change everything about you. You may grow your beard out longer, you know. You may change your makeup. You, you may change your career, your job. Everything is subject to change, but God don't change. Now, I wonder, is there anything in your lives here right now that you need to shed in order for you to grow and become all that God wants? Is, well, yeah, I can. And, and you would know what it is. If there is something you need to shed, like the snake sheds its skin or the crab and the, the uh, lobster have to shed their, their shell, you would know that, yeah, there's something I need to shed so I can experience the transformation that God has in store for me. And the very first book ever printed on the printing press was the Bible, and it ended in history what was referred to as the Dark Ages. It brought about a phenomenal change on the whole planet when the Bible was printed and man could read the Bible for his own self. It brought about a change, and you and I, when we'll give ourselves over to reading it, and the best time to start is at the first of the year, you begin to read it, it's like looking in a mirror and seeing God's reflection in it. And as we look in God's Word, we will see His reflection, and it will change us from glory to glory. Because we do need change, but sometimes we go, oh no, anything but that. No, oh no, not change. Oh no. But God's kind of changes from glory to glory to make us more and more like His Son, Jesus. And God's not going to change it and make you miserable. He's going to change you from glory to glory, and it's going to be better and better. And then he'll use your life to, to inspire change in other people's lives. That's just the way it is.
they're uh, pilots when they're flying, and uh, you, you know, if something goes wrong with the plane, they have the ability to push a button and it ejects their seat and everything out of the airplane and it comes down with parachutes. You know what I'm talking about. But you know what? A lot of people are so comfortable with the familiar. And there's great familiarity in the cockpit. And a lot of them choose the familiarity of the cockpit that's going down and it's going to crash shortly. Then the new and the change of being ejected out of the cockpit and being carried down to earth safely with parachutes. They're not familiar with that. And sometimes we choose familiarity, unwilling to change. But I'm going to tell you, if something goes on with your plane and it's getting ready to crash, the wisest thing would do is to push that button and let those... Sometimes it's one big one. Sometimes it's like three smaller ones. Parachutes let you down to earth nice and softly. You think that'd be probably a better idea? You know what? If things ain't going the way they ought to be going in that airplane, well, I think we should be looking for some change and that we should be willing to accept God bringing about the change. And if our life is about to crash, we should push eject and get out of the old lifestyle and the old customs and behavior, and we should eject and choose to do things God's way, and he'll let us down gently.